As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, welcome to the From the Shadows podcast. I am your host Shane Grove, and uh, Happy New Year! This will be our uh, this should be our first uh, episode of the new year. So we, I hope everybody had a safe and and fun uh, New Year's uh, Eve and celebration. Unfortunately, as a uh, Ohio State Buckeyes fan, New Year's Eve did not go as planned, but uh, the new year started anyway, despite. Uh, the Buckeyes coming out on the losing end. And uh, I think our guest being where he is uh, from is probably chuckling, saying, I'm glad that your uh, New Year's Eve went terribly wrong. But <laughs> that's beside the point. So before I bring our guest on, I want to remind everybody that uh, if you have a story or an experience you'd like to share with us, you can find us up on the From the Shadows podcast on Facebook. You can find our forum page after the shadows on Facebook. You can find me at Shane Grove Author on Instagram or our From the Shadows podcast Instagram page. And then uh, if you just want to do it the old fashioned way, you can go find us at From the Shadows podcast.com, hit the contact button, and you will you can send me an email and I will get a hold of you. So um, many of you loyal listeners will remember a guest we had on last fall, um, Terry from Rock Hill, Bigfoot. And if you remember, we, we kind of talked about um, some crazy stuff that was going on in the South. And uh, Terry, lucky for me, uh, got me connected with, uh, with the gentleman who has documented a lot of this uh, crazy stuff. Uh, Mr. Trey Hudson, welcome to the From the Shadows podcast, Trey. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very, very happy and honored to be here. <laughs> um, and I guess we should say that the, um, the book that you wrote 
It's called the Meadow Project Explorations into the South Skinwalker Ranch. And um, I, I was so intrigued after talking to Terry that I ordered a copy and I'm a, I'm probably about halfway through the book. And I just, I don't want to go any further because I kind of wanted to, I just kind of wanted to, I couldn't really take any more in until I talked to you because there's so much, I mean, I, there's so much in this book about what you guys are doing and have done down there that I just kind of wanted you get you on and have you share it with our guests or our, our guests, our, our listeners. And, uh, so they could, you know, so maybe they could go out and buy the book and uh, see for themselves what, what kind of craziness is going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I know, uh, you know, uh, I, I went back and listened to your interview with Terry and, uh, you know, something Terry kept talking about. And it, it's really funny because, you know, the rest of my team will echo this is, you know, kind of like you have a bunch of good old boys sitting around the fire saying, you ain't going to believe this. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, Terry kept saying, you know, uh, alluding to if if I wasn't there and if I hadn't experienced this and seen these things with my own eyes, I would think you were crazy if you were, were recounting the story. You know, I would have your blood alcohol checked or run a uh, drug screen <laughs> on you. And, uh, and that's the really neat thing about this is it, it's it's uh, not only the uniqueness and and powerfulness of the experience, but it's the high quality and number of the experiencers. You know, we have probably mm -hmm. ten people that exp have experienced you know a myriad of uh, you know in instances of high strangeness at this location and the surrounds. You know, we research a few miles out from the actual area we call the meadow. And uh, so, yeah, it was really neat. And, uh, yeah, you could probably, you know, detect a little bit of enthusiasm, uh, you know, and a little bit of a high pitch in Terry's uh, voice when he was recounting these stories. So it's uh, it's uh, one of those things. Uh, it's hard to believe unless you were there, but every single bit of it happened and every single bit of it's true. <laughs> well, I will say, um, you know, once I started reading the book, it's it's very obvious. And I think everybody will will uh, figure this out that. You guys aren't just a bunch of men and women just saying, hey, let's go ghost hunting or let's just go see what's going on. You got this is very thought out, very organized. You guys are all very experienced in your fields. And um, there's a real plan uh, when you guys go out there to do this, to do this investigation. Yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, like you, you kind of alluded to. Uh, most of our members either come from. Uh, you know, law enforcement, the fire services, emergency medicine, military, things like that. So, you know, professionally, uh, you know, we don't have the luxury of being, you know, helter skelter and unorganized in our professional lives. You know, unfortunately, if we are, people can die or bad things can happen. You know, national security can be compromised or whatever. So we tend to have that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of focus, that kind of drive, that kind of, uh, you know, that, that drilling down on the task and not that we're a military organization or anything like that, because we're not, but, you know, uh, you know, a lot of some of my, back, my backgrounds in the military and some of the other uh, members are, so we kind of run things like that, not because we necessarily want to emulate the military, but it works. You know, it's, it's a good way of communicating. It's a good way of staying on task. It's a good way of structuring your activities and uh, your focus and maximizing your effort uh, 
and hopefully maximizing uh, your results. So, you know, before we ever even go out, before we step foot in the woods, uh, an operations order is developed and that talks about, you know, where we're going, you know, here are the latitude and longitudes, you know, here are the radio frequencies we're going to be using. These are what we hope to accomplish. These are, you know, who's going to be there. Here's the closest hospital. You know, here's a, a list of equipment we think you'll need. You know, do we have latrine facilities nearby? Are you going to have to, you know, provide your own water? You know, so, you know, we go in there. So we're not kind of stumbling around figuring out what we're going to do. Once we, uh, you know, we get everybody assembled, we can go ahead and jump on the task and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, yield some good results. And I think, quite frankly, uh, you know, our successes speak for themselves. Yes, I would. I would definitely say. I mean, the results that I've read read about so far definitely do speak for themselves. So, so explain to our listeners then how you came across this piece of property and like what the genesis was to even um, to even go out and think that something was going on. Oh, that's that's a really cool story and. Uh, it, there's no magic to it, uh, is follow the folklore is a lot of times, you know, the, with folklore, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of smoke, but at the base of that smoke, oftentimes there's a tiny little flame. So what I'm saying is you've got a lot of static, but sometimes there's a really good signal in the noise of folklore. And what had happened is I had, uh, you know, been kind of researching this area and I uh, had placed a geocache in this area uh, back several years ago because it had a haunted folklore to it. You know, there was a haunted road or a haunted cemetery. So, I, you know, I put a, uh, a geocache out there with kind of a kind of a spooky backstory. And, you know, you had to go out there in the woods at night. It was it was kind of kind of a neat thing. And I became intrigued with this area. Uh, so I started doing a little bit more research. And one of the uh, the geocachers. I uh, was exploring this area and had the locals tell him about a haunted road, you know, and it was kind of one of those things where, you know, you're talking to the local, uh, you know, hill folks and they say, you know, don't go down that road at night. Them haints are down there and they'll get you, you know, kind of one of those things, you know, very, <laughs> you know, very, very, you know, very earthy and organic, you know, in their explanation and description of what would happen to you if you went down this haunted road. So, you know, uh, during the comments of, uh, you know, people that had found this particular geocache, this, uh, this one gentleman had relayed, you know, Hey, this, I ran into the locals and this is what they said. And, you know, this was the road. And I'm like, Hmm, haunted road. Don't go down there. The haints will get you. I'm in, you know, I'm in. <laughs> so, you know, my background primarily, uh, at, at that time was a paranormal researcher. That's, you know, kind of, you know, dovetails nicely in with what I studied, uh, you know, at university and, so that was kind of the the focus, uh, you know, in optic I was using, you know, approaching this. So we we go down to this. Uh, I have some team members uh, that that are folks that I had met, you know, through other folks, and uh, we decided to go down there. And one of the folks I went down there with was uh, Mr. Bob Wilson, who uh, is known as Grumpy on the uh, I think it's Discovery Channel's uh, show Bigfoot is Real you know, a very well-known cryptid researcher. So he, a research partner of his and myself, I uh, went down there and uh, we're going to research this road. Bob stayed back at base camp and uh, Daryl, my other uh, partner, he and I went down to the haunted road, which was 
several miles away, like about 10 miles away. So we had to use ham radios to communicate over this mountain with one another. And it was a cold February night. It was drizzly, you know, it was high altitude, not extremely high altitude, but here in America's Southland, what, you know, constitutes high altitude in the Appalachians for us. And, uh, you know, Daryl and I went to this haunted road and we didn't see doodly, you know, that the only strange thing we had was we heard a uh, quail whistle, you know, a, you know, in February at high altitude, quail is a lowland bird, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't come out in the winter. And so that was a little unusual. So this area also had a, a very rich history of uh, Sasquatch and Bigfoot sightings. Sasquatch sometimes, you know, will mimic other animals. So it's like, well, you know, was this, you know, a Bigfoot, you know, do we, do we really know? No, we don't. And so, you know, we were cold and wet and, you know, kind of ready to come back. So about uh, 2,200, 2,300 hours, we decided to get back in the, uh, the Jeep and come back. And so we get on the radio, I call back to Bob, who was at base camp by himself. And we said, Hey, you know, we're coming back. And he said, you know, did y'all encounter anything or see anything? It's like, you know, we heard what might be an anomalous, you know, bird whistle, but you know, that was about it. And he goes, wait, wait until I tell you what happened to me. I was like, wait, no, 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 no. The cool stuff never happens at base camp. No, how <laughs> dare you be having cool stuff back at base camp? Well, you know, we find out much later that base camp is just sometimes as cool as anywhere else. But anyway, we were eager to get back. We, we, we pulled up into campsite, uh, you know, got our, put away our gear, gathered around the campfire and Bob told us this story. And he said that he, uh, you know, was sitting there at base camp, you know, by himself, you know, all sad and lonely, you know, really, you know, kind of pathetic. No, not really, but he, uh, you know, well, he, was, he is, he is grumpy, right? He, so. is, he is grumpy. So, you know, <laughs> he, he was, uh, sitting at base camp and, you know, drinking, you know, hot coffee to try to stay warm. And, you know, uh, the, 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 the issue of fluid dynamics comes into play, you know, in physics, you put a bunch of fluid into a, an object that will only expand to a certain point, And that fluid has got to come out sometime. You know, you can't put any more fluid in. So Bob had to take care of some coffee. He had to get rid of some coffee. So uh, he stepped out behind the campsite to take care of some biological business. And as he's standing there taking care of that business, uh, he sees a beam of light, you know, come down, you know, like a straight beam of light. And he's like, oh, wow, lightning. But there was no thunder. There was no sound of this beam of light. And we all have our normalcy bias, okay? We have a box of what we think is normal. And whenever we, we encounter something that's very odd, we try to stick that vent in, inside of our normality box, our normality bias. Like, oh, well, you know, there's a beam of light, didn't have any thunder, but it, it must have been lightning because I'm, I'm used to lightning. Lightning is in my wheelhouse. I know what that is. So that's kind of, uh, you know, where he was coming from. So a few seconds later, he notices a large luminous orb appear and he looks at it and he's like, well, that must be the moon. The clouds must be clearing off and I can now see the full moon and perhaps we're going to have a nice weekend that the rain will go ahead and move out. But then the moon started moving sideways. Now, I don't know about in Ohio, but down here, the moon doesn't move sideways. You know, that's, that's a, that's a bit of an anomaly. 
not normally. It yeah, no, not normally. You know, <laughs> you know how many margaritas you've had, and maybe the moon will do all kinds of things. But you know, coffee usually doesn't make the moon move sideways. So the moon moves very slowly from the right to the left, and it stops. You know, this large luminous orb. And then a very small black dot appears in the middle of this orb and gets larger and larger and larger. And imagine like a uh, like uh, opening up the iris of a camera lens, like you're adjusting the f-stop on a camera, you know, and it gets larger and larger. So this black dot gets larger and larger and larger until all he was left with, you know, as he was observing, was a a circle of light, kind of like the uh, the ring of diamonds effect during an eclipse. And then it goes out. And then, a, then a bit later, he sees a a cluster of lights, anomalous lights, up on top of uh, a ridge, adjacent to the campsite. So, it's like, wow, this uh, this is pretty cool. You know, this this is neat stuff. Forget forget that haunted road business. This is where it's at. This is where it's happening. So we decided to start focusing our research on uh, you know, on that area. And so. You know, the next day we decided to start looking at the surrounds of this area and just kind of see what was, you know, near there and, you know, what might be worth looking into further. And about quarter to half a mile from our base camp was a mountain meadow. And imagine a very picturesque, bucolic mountain meadow. Very, you know, just very beautiful, very nice, you know. Something kind of like the sound of music. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, you know, with no, with no, no Julie Andrews. That's uh, and so, uh, and we looked at it. It's like, okay, this would be a really neat place to research. You know, do some of our focus, some of our research efforts for several reasons. You know, number one is it's a big open area. So we've had accounts of Sasquatch, you know, in this general area. And something moving across this this meadow would leave tracks. You know, it's a natural, what they call a track trap. You know, you would see impressions or the grass compressed or something like that. So that's number one. Number two, being open, you have a clear view of the sky. So this area also has a history of UFO sightings. So if anything, you know, is going on in the sky, especially in the wintertime when the vegetation is down, you might be able to see it because you have a, a pretty good view of the sky. Number three, uh, to the north, there's a ridge line. Uh, you can stand on this ridge line, and during the winter time, look through the uh, you know the dead vegetation, you know the bare trees and all, and you can see down into the meadow, and you can use a FLIR uh, and see what's moving around down in the meadow. And number four, it's open enough that you can put teams in the meadow itself with night vision and thermals and see anything that traverses the meadow. So that's four good reasons why this area is a, a, a ideal spot for uh, a multifaceted uh, research uh, and exploration effort. So we decided to, uh, to to put our focus on this meadow. That it just you know it was far enough away from base camp where you know the things going on at base camp wouldn't contaminate it. It was remote. You probably weren't going to be disturbed by people just stumbling across it, and it had all the right attributes to be a good research site. So, uh, you know, kind of backing up a little bit, uh, something that uh, your listeners might be interested in is we followed the folklore. You know, look at the folklore, look at the history of your area. And the first uh, probably 20% of the book I talk about 
The history of this area, starting from a macro multi-state you know, perspective and then tightening it down into this, this, uh, nat- this natural nature preserve where the meadow is located. And when you start really going into the, the, the data and the, uh, the folklore and the history, there is a lot of activity in this general area and a lot of activities in this specific area. So, you know, if people are interested in doing this kind of stuff themselves, all they have to do is do the research, you know, start plotting out where these, uh, these instances of high strangeness and who knows, they might even have one of these, uh, these areas in their own backyard, in their own town or in their own community, which, you know, it's really kind of cool, you know, that more people can get out there and start looking into these areas and expanding the, uh, you know, the depth of, uh, data we have and, you know, maybe, uh, maybe come up with an answer to what exactly is going on worldwide. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point you make because, and we kind of talked about that before we went on that a lot of stuff does not get ported anywhere officially so it's kind of it really takes some digging and investigative research to find clusters of stuff that may tie into already local legend or folklore and uh make it worth uh, really digging into you know but yeah. I, but i would highly recommend if anybody before we because when we get into what you guys uncover i'd highly recommend Getting yourself a really good group. Don't go out and get Shaggy, Scooby, and the rest of the uh, gang. Go get some real uh, professional uh, people and put together a good game plan because uh, there's some crazy stuff that could happen out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and you mentioned crazy stuff, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. Is sometimes this, this, this stuff can be dangerous. You know, it's... We, we've had a team member die, you know, after we started researching this from uh, a medical issue that kind of popped up out of nowhere. We've had uh, team members, cancer came back. Uh, so, you know, folks really need to really understand what they're getting into. Uh, there's now some research coming out about people that have experienced instances of high strangeness having uh, some neurological changes. Uh, the DOD is now putting out some information on that. There's been some uh, university research on uh, changes of brain structure of people that have been close to some of these things. So, you know, the, going you know out, the, that is super, and I hate to interrupt you, but that's super yeah. interesting that you say that because, you know, we interviewed Linda Gottfried mm-hmm. uh year, year and a half ago. I mean, it's been, it's been a while and she was, she told us that her investigation into the dogman phenomena led to, you know, mysterious lights and, and energy that she they felt. And she had members of her research team, including herself, come down with cancer. Yeah. And then she, I mean, sadly just passed away not too long ago from Parkinson's, which would be a neurological, uh, you know, disease that... I mean, is there a connection? I mean, she herself thought there was a connection, and now you're you're telling me that there's research coming out that could possibly um, tie it together. Yeah, I've actually uh, I've actually been talking to a uh, radiologist uh, who's a friend of mine about you know some of the the scholarly research that's been going on to this uh, this phenomenon, and it's it's kind of coming from the UAP area uh, and. 
you know, DOD pilots, you know, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps pilots that have you know, been very close to some of these anomalous things in the sky and some of the, the health issues that they've experienced, you know, uh, post-experience. And I think it's a field of study uh, that is, is ripe. And I'm starting to see some serious uh, research being uh, done in it. There's a uh, there's a scientist, and I, his name escapes me uh, right now, and I'm sorry for that. But uh, he has been doing some uh, research with people that have had experiences of high strangeness and doing MRIs of uh, of their brains. And you know there are some neurological changes, and uh, so. You know, you don't have to look any further than the famous Cash Lundrum, you know, event where, uh, you know, there were some very serious uh, physiological changes after one of these encounters. So, yeah, you know, so where I'm going with that is, like you said, you probably don't want to go out with Shaggy, you know, and, and Scoob and Velma, Fred and, you know. I mean, you can go and, out in the van. The van. Yeah, well, the van's kind of cool. Out. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> You know, if you want to, if you want to score, you make a score, you know, back behind the shopping center with Scoob and uh, Shaggy, probably. But, uh, you know, if you're going to do some serious research, you know, uh, you have some medical folks on your team, you know. Uh, and one thing we do is we have a dedicated medic. Uh, you know, we do uh, medical evaluations before and after, you know, to make sure people aren't experiencing, uh, you know, anything that might be, uh, might be dangerous. We've, we've had a medevac somebody. We had a medevac, a team member in the middle of the night you know, out of the meadow one time because of, uh, some, uh, coronary, uh, cardiac issues that popped up out of nowhere, which we still don't really understand. So, uh, you know, it, you know, without any, uh, you know, without any, any good omelet, unfortunately you have to break some eggs. So there is, there is an element of uh, danger and risk to it. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I uh, totally, uh, that's totally the way I'm looking at it. I mean, because, like back to that, I mean, it's it's obvious there's some energy um, going on here, and like in the UFO sightings and and every and anywhere there's energy, who you, we don't know how it's created, where it's coming from, what it's giving off, um, you know, and that's um, are we ever going to know? I don't know. <laughs> you well, know. well, you know, on a uh, on a non high strangeness. Uh, you know, example of this, but more of a geopolitical political one. Uh, and this is open source, so I'm not, you know, I'm not divulging anything. But there has been something called the Havana Syndrome that various uh, U.S. Mm -hmm. government, you know, uh, diplomats, uh, DoD officials have uh, experienced, which is you know, vertigo, headaches, uh, extreme disorientation. And I've got a story about extreme disorientation, you know, out at the meadow. Uh, so, you know, this kind of phenomena, and we don't know if that's directed energy, ultrasound, infrasound, you know, what, but there are unseen forces that can affect physical changes, you know, because these uh, State Department personnel have, you know, displayed some neurological changes. Yeah. So, you know, why would that not be possible, you know, with, with high strangeness? Yeah, and and as we head towards the... Uh you know the one night that is is crazy really the in my estimation the craziest night in the book and i think you say that yourself is that 
incident of disorientation with it's Bob, right? Grumpy Bob. Well, his, or his, well, was it his GPS? That, oh, that was uh, that was actually before the crazy night of. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it's leading up to that night. It's leading up to that. That yeah. was in Ju- July of 2016. So you know, we we found the meadow. You know, we we thought it was kind of cool. So it's like you know, let let's go back. You know, so we go back during the summer. We have a uh, you know pretty robust team when we went back out there and. I uh, started really looking at the meadow as, as a research location, and we decided what we were going to do is set up several teams in the meadow uh, at night, and they were, gonna, were going to be equipped with night vision and thermals, FLIRs, and then we were going to take Grumpy Bob and have him walk across the top of the ridge by himself. And the idea was if there was anything between the top of the ridge and the meadow, he would flush it down into the meadow and we'd be able to capture it on film or see it or whatever. And so we got out there and we got all set up and, uh, you know, we're waiting on, uh, you know, waiting on Bob to start his trek so we could, you know, start really watching in earnest. And he comes over the radio and he says, Hey guys, I'm at the tree across the trail, which is a pretty well-known landmark. You know, all the team knows where that is. And he goes, I don't remember how I got here. Okay. So first thing that pops in everybody's mind, maybe he's having some sort of medical episode, you know, like a stroke or, you know, an epileptic episode or something serious. So our medics, uh, get on the radio and you know they're doing a on the air uh medical assessment you go bob can you can you feel your fingers can you feel your toes yes 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 uh you know uh do you experience any numbness no do you have a headache no uh repeat mary had a little lamb you know mary had a little lamb you know so everything checks out you know and he's like well you know he's, he's grumpy bob i'm you know i'm okay i'm okay you know let's just continue with the mission i'm okay so once again, the normalcy box comes into play, you know, our normalcy bias. It's like, well, he must have just really been focused on what we're doing and just kind of walked in a daze and forgot how he got there. You know, that happens to us sometimes, you know, you try, you drive to work in the morning and next thing you know, you're pulling into the parking lot. It's like, well, I don't remember, you know, driving here. So, you know, we try to place that in our normal box. Well, as it turns out, uh, it wasn't that normal because Bob worked his way across the ridge, dropped down into the west side of the meadow, and uh, some of my team members picked him up on FLIR, and they're watching him on FLIR uh, move you know, towards them, and they drop their FLIRs, and they see him, or where he's at, turn into a, a – well, let me back up. They, they drop their FLIRs, and they see a ball of light appear, like an orb, an energy sphere and it moved several hundred yards several hundred meters across the meadow in just a matter of seconds now we we mapped that out and 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 figured it out and this thing moved at about 25 miles per hour you know pretty fast and so as soon as this ball of light stopped they bring their fleers up and where the ball of light was there's bob standing there and it's like okay what just happened so they are watching this the heat signature of a man standing there, you know, in the field, a ways away from them. They bring their radio up and they say, Bob, you know, this team one, you know, or Bob, this is team one. And then they see this signature bring its the radio up to its mouth and say, Yes, team one, this is Bob. 
So they're obviously watching Bob's heat signature on the FLIR. And they, uh, they said, you know, don't move. Uh, or let me back up. They said, uh, you know, come to us. We need to, we need to talk. So he gets there and they said, dude, we just saw you turn into a ball of energy and fly across the meadow. And Bob was like, no, I just was walking along, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. I said, no, no, you had to experience what happened. How did that feel? And he goes, it didn't feel like anything. I just walked over here. Are you guys crazy or what's wrong with you? And so, you know, you start getting into some quantum stuff there. It's like, you know, you have the observer effect where the observing the phenomena actually changes it. So, you know, who is having the experience, the observer or the observed? So who had the shift of reality? Whose ground truth was modified by this place? Was it Bob or was it Team One? Now, Team One consisted of two individuals, and I'll give you a little bit of, a little bit of their backgrounds. Uh, one individual was uh, a man by the name of Tim, uh, graduated from the Georgia Institute of Technology with a degree in physics and philosophy. Uh, served uh, prior to university, he served in special operations in the U.S. Army's 75th Ranger Regiment, and he was working in research and development for a major uh, automotive manufacturer. Okay, so that's 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 Tim. His partner was uh, Daryl, who also has a degree from the Georgia Institute of Technology and two master's degrees, and has a a long history and career in emergency medicine. How can you trust those guys? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, they're, they're not they're not like the, uh, you know, the meth addict you picked up, you know, in the dumpster behind Walmart. You know, they're, these are two very scientific minded guys used to dealing with cold, hard facts, you know, and using those facts to make sound decisions. So, you know, their 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 background and their credibility is impeccable. You know, and I talked about the quality of the experiencers. Well, you know, here's that's where we're at, you know, the high quality of individuals. And so uh, it, it's really funny because, you know, Daryl and I have sat around the campfire, you know, and we were actually uh, researching another site uh, just a few months ago. And we were talking about this. We were sitting around sipping, uh, you know, adult uh, beverages, some Jack Daniels around the campfire, still arguing about whose experience changed you know was it theirs or was it bombs and it's funny because we still argue about that to this day so that was uh that and was there's our... no and there's no way to there's no way to, to really figure that out is there at this point no i mean there's yeah there's not there's not and then when you, you start getting into the experiential nature of this thing and it just starts getting really weird and uh so, you know, we could, we go back to camp, you know, Bob's okay. You know, he didn't, he wasn't, you know, swooped off to another dimension or anything that we know of. Uh, and, you know, before we came back, uh, to camp, uh, one of our, our, uh, base camp operator and a, ra- a radio net control officer said that he was noticing, uh, strange lights up on top of the ridge. He actually thought that our green headlamps, were, were visible from base camp and we were returning to camp by coming over a very difficult route over the top of this ridge. And, uh, it's like, no, we're still in the meadow. You're seeing some other kind of lights. So strange lights, you know, are a theme that, uh, reappear at this site on and on. So he experienced that, uh, at 0200, uh, one of my team members was out 
relieving himself, and he saw a white humanoid figure watching base camp from behind a tree, which is really kind of cool because white uh, figures or humanoid-sized figures come into play later on, and this area has a really rich folklore of a white Bigfoot-type creature seen in this area. So, you know, once again, the folklore is actually bearing out, you know, as we research. So when you think things can't get any stranger, they do. That's like one of my team members, uh, he says, you know, when at this location, when you think you've seen everything, just wait, you're going to see some more. So Bob comes up the next morning and he says, uh, guys, I want you to look at my uh, GPS. Now, a little bit of background about Bob. He has a very, very rich history and experience in backcountry search and rescue. He worked uh, search and rescue in California for a number of years with various agencies. And he has a very good uh, backcountry habit of whenever he's out in the wilderness, he runs the track on his GPS. So it's continuously dropping breadcrumbs wherever he moves. And it creates a track line. So you can go back and review exactly you know, what your route was for the previous day or evening. So he showed us his track line from the previous evening. Now, remember, he uh, was observed turning into a ball of energy, and he was missing time. His track line showed several straight tracks for distances that it would be impossible to travel over this terrain. It's too rugged. You You can't travel by foot or by vehicle in a straight line over this terrain. It also showed him on the uh, on the north side of a very large creek, almost like a small river uh, that runs adjacent to the meadow. He never crossed that creek or river, but yet his GPS track line shows it. So when you start thinking about it, you have a straight line over extremely rugged terrain. You have his track line showing him in areas that he would have to cross over a large body of water, yet he never did and was never wet. So how would that be possible? There's only one way that can be done. And that's if you're in the air. If you're somehow above the terrain. And uh, can you tell at what point that that happened? Well, was it when he thought he was disoriented or was it when he turned into a ball of light? Well, here's the bad news. And this, uh, this is a theme that runs throughout uh, people that, you know, really research areas of high strangeness is, you know, we told Bob, wow, that's, you know, that's, that's absolutely fascinating. We really need to research this and, you know, and, and do some really in-depth analysis of this data. So when we get back home and this area has absolutely no cell coverage, you know, so there's no way to transfer data is, you know, wait until you get home, download the data and send it to us, and we'll bring it up on some GIS uh, software. And, you know, we'll analyze, you know, the, the date, time, track, kind of like you, you alluded to, uh, and, and do some analysis on it and try to create a chrono- uh, chronology of events. Well, when he got home, all of that was erased off of his GPS. Oh, boy. Which is, you know, <laughs> and that's, that, is, that is a reoccurring theme you know, not just with my team, but with other teams in other areas as you have electronics, just, you know, do not work data that's erased, you know, data that appears, you know, with a strange time date stamps. And, you know, so that's, 
that's pretty much part and parcel for, uh, you know, for this. So what we, we do a lot of now is we carry notebooks and a pencil and a lot of us, uh, wear analog watches now, you know, literally you wind the watch up each day, you know, it's not electronic at all. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, so that was, uh, July of 2016. And that was setting the stage for the rest of the high strangeness that has uh, followed us since. <laughs> well, so golly, that that would be infuriating to to have to know you have that data, and then not be able to dig into it even more because of uh, you know. And that goes back to the whole energy thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just I, I, my limited <laughs> knowledge <laughs> is 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 such that what I, all I can figure is, is that something is uh, super strange out there. It does not want, whether on purpose or, or on accident, any information getting out of that area. Well, that it's, area. it's, it's really strange. I'm going to fast forward just a little bit. Uh, if you will indulge me for a few moments is we were, we were back out in the meadow. This was in October. Okay, just you know, a few months ago, and we had a uh, a film crew that was uh, filming a documentary on areas of high strangeness. So this was a professional you know, documentarian uh, production, you know, our producer with his uh, cinematographer and all of that. And we we went out to the meadow. So they have you know very high end sound equipment, you know, video equipment and all of that. And so we're in the meadow. And, you know, we're walking around, we're exploring it. And the, uh, the videographer says, Whoa, I just lost 80% of my battery power. I'm only at 20% now. And I just charged this. He said it was 199 to hundred percent just a few moments ago. So he steps back about 10 meters and then his, uh, battery power goes back up to about 90%. He steps back into this location and it drops down to 20% steps back out of it, it goes back up to 80%. And there was a concentration of some sort of electromagnetic anomaly. And I'm talking an area, maybe 10 meters by 10 meters, a very tight concentration that would affect his battery. And as soon as he would step out of that area, everything was fine. He'd step into it. Battery would drain, step back out of it. Battery was fine. So, you know, who knows, uh, you know, what's causing the, uh, the malfunctioning of these electronics and it is causing these, uh, battery drains, you know, is it, is it transient? You know, is it tied to the location? Is it tr- tied to the phenomena? You know, is it tied to the individual? You know, that's one of the many mysteries that's, uh, you know, before us and where we're trying to figure out. Well, now I want to ask you, so, I mean, that's something typical you see on a paranormal investigation in a house where spirits, uh, or ghosts or whatever we want to call them draw from energy to manifest. Yes. That's something that could be tied together, you know, out where you guys are at. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I have kind of evolved as a paranormal researcher. I'm kind of a, uh, if it's, uh, you know, a weirdologist, you know, a high strangeologist, you know, is, I don't look at things strictly through the lenses of a paranormal researcher. Uh, I just kind of take the data for what it is. And the more I research this and the more people I talk to and the more accounts I read of, you know, other areas of extreme high strangeness, 
is I think we're all looking at the same phenomena. You know, if you see something, you know, a figure, you know, I'm talking about like a, you know, a anthropomorphic figure, uh, uh, paranormal researchers say, well, you know, that's a ghost. That's a dead Uncle Fred. You know, a ufologist will say, well, that's obviously an alien. You know, a Bigfoot researcher will say, well, that's, you know, it's that juvenile Bigfoot. Well, maybe they're all of those things and none of those things. So, you know, are spirits using this energy to manifest? What is a spirit? You know, what is a ghost? That's just a label. So uh, I think that you see these uh, two things. I think you see these electromagnetic uh, sinks where energy is drained. That energy can manifest itself in a, a a whole bunch of different phenomenologies, you know, be it you know orbs, you know, figures, audio, you know, anomalies, things like that. And then another thing that some folks have have uh, encountered, and I have a good friend James Keenan, uh, who's done a lot of research on this. He is uh, focusing on geomagnetic anomalies. You know, where you have fluctuations in the magnetic field. And we've seen a little bit of that at our site, not a whole lot, but that does seem to be uh, some sort of correlation too. And then you can get into uh, plasma energy and magnetic fields and the creation of micro singularities, black holes or portals, if you will, which, you know, there's been some evidence of these things that exist in our outer atmosphere. And it starts to paint a very intriguing picture. Well, speaking of painting an intriguing picture, let's touch on some of the stuff that happened on uh, February 11th, 2017, because I think this will this will really blow some people's minds. Oh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is this is a thing that that, you know, you know, uh, you know, bless his heart. Uh, you know, uh it's just rattled a, a, a bunch of people uh, really, really strongly. Uh, Terry, it took him a few days to process this because he, we brought he and his research partners out uh, looking for Bigfoot. You know, that's what we told them. You know, there's, you know, Sasquatch sightings in this area. That's kind of what we want you to kind of focus on. And we were going to, we were interested to see what their perspective was. And uh, his, perspective changed his paradigm shifted that evening and and after uh, you know i relay this story hopefully people will see why kind of the same phenomena uh same uh operational ma- uh, model that we used before uh we were going to have several teams uh in the meadow you know once again equipped with our thermals and night vision i think we had three teams three or four teams out there that evening and then we were going to have another team move across the top of the ridgeline, kind of like uh, what Bob did before, except this time we learned a very important lesson. Nobody goes out there alone. You know, nobody goes out without a means of uh, navigating, i.e. map and compass and or GPS. Nobody goes out there without comms, i.e. a radio. And nobody goes out there by themselves because uh, we were kind of rattled by Bob's experience and, and realized that that could have gone bad really, really quick. You know, we could have had another chapter in one of David Polite's books, you know, about somebody going missing. So uh, so we had a little bit different uh, protocol now. Nobody goes out alone. So the team running across the top of the ridge was uh, three members. And I was on the uh, the ridge team that evening. 
and so we we run across the uh, top of the ridge and uh you know not having a whole lot going on and we stopped and we're looking down in the western edge of the uh, the meadow with our thermals and we saw uh several deer which were very obviously these were deer uh, on our thermals and let me uh, inject something here one thing that we do is we have an operational commander and a tactical commander. The operational commander is over the expedition for the whole weekend. The tactical commander or field commander, he or she is responsible for what actually goes on in the field. So uh, I had both operational and tactical control of that operation that evening and that weekend. And part of that is nobody moves off station without permission. So you always know where everybody is. You set your teams and before anybody moves, they request permission from either the tactical commander or net control to move, and that's locked. So we always know where our teams are. That way, we're not picking up each other on thermal, you know, things like that. It's, you know, it's just a good, sensical way to run an operation. So there's a reason that I'm prefacing this with that. Uh, so we looking down in the meadow, we see, you know, deer. You know, moving around, it's like, okay, well, there's some deer down in the meadow. That's kind of cool. We wait a few minutes. We bring our thermals back up. The deer are gone. They're nowhere to be seen. And much to our surprise, we see a, I'm trying to think how I can describe this, a man-sized heat signature down where the deer were. Now, when I say man-sized, I'm talking two meters tall, uh, you know, maybe 0.75 meters wide you know so you're talking six foot by two foot you know a, a heat signature that's about the size of a man down in the meadow does not correspond with any of our teams so it was not one of our team members we start filming this and while we're filming this this heat signature shrinks down to about half of the size so it's about 24 inches wide by maybe now three foot goes back up to six foot, back down to three foot, back up to six foot, then splits into two entities, and then back into one. And we have all this on FLIR. We, I had a, uh, a Hollywood pro uh, producer friend of mine take this, slow it down, and enhance it, and it's plain as day. You know, that's what's going on. So I was like, holy crap, you know, the stuff's, stuff's going on now. So we drop back down in the meadow to see if we can find and fix whatever this heat signature was. And by the time we were able to work our way down there, we you know, couldn't see it. We, you know, it was gone. So, you know, doggone it, you know, skunked again. So uh, while we're standing there, you know, looking for this anomalous heat signature, uh, Terry, yeah, not Terry, uh, David comes over the radio and he goes, hey, guys, you need to see this. And it's like, you know, what's going on? He goes, I'm capturing on my thermal a box or a cube. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba. It's like, what do you mean a box or a cube? He goes, he goes. I'm looking at a box. You know, and it's just materialized, and I'm picking it up only on thermal. I can't see it with my naked eye. So it's like, okay, don't move. We're on our way. So we, you know, move over there. And uh, by the time we got there, he says, hey, it's moved. You know, it's, it's shifted its position. It's like, okay, well, tell us where it's at. And he says, okay, it's over at this location. And it's like, okay, we're going to go towards it. Vector us towards this cube. Okay, you know, go to your left, you know, 20 meters, you know, keep going, et cetera, et cetera. You know, wave your hand. Okay, we see you on thermal. And uh, we get to it, and we send two team members uh, up to it. And by this time, the closer we got to it, it, it uh, dissolved. You know, the, heat, the very stark heat signature is now becoming less and less distinct. So it's like, okay, well, we're going to go to the area where it was and see if, you know, what's there. You know, see if we detect any changes in the environment, any anomalies, you know, anything like that. So we take two team members and we send them into this area where this thing was. Well, they disappeared off a of FLIR. And we have this on video. And it was so distinct that David, who was, uh, Terry had mentioned that that was his research partner, said, did they just disappear? Now, this is in February, you know, in the mountains. There is no vegetation. All the vegetation is dead. The, the ambient air temperature is very cool. So our heat signatures, the heat signature of a human being is very distinct on thermal. And they completely disappeared off of thermal. And then they came back out and uh, reappeared. So, you know, we're we're recording this we have this on video it's like this is the most amazing you know footage that we're aware of you know i i don't know of any other footage out there like this and so we're gathered gather together and it's like okay what do we want to do guys you know uh oh let me back up uh while they were filming our team going in and out of you know this area and disappearing from FLIR to the right in a copse of trees maybe about 40 meters away they detect Guess what? Two heat signatures that don't correspond to our team. So whatever those entities were are now watching us as we're vectoring a team into this box or cube. So uh, it finally, the team comes back out. They reappear on FLIR. They come back over to us. 
and uh, we're discussing uh, what do we want to do. Do we want to continue researching? We've got these strange entities in the field now. We've got this this box cube, or I'm just going to use the word portal. I'll just use that because that's a convenient label. Uh, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, so we've got this portal. And do we stay and investigate or do we go back? And I made the command decision, and there were some folks that disagreed with me, but that's okay, is we need to get back to base camp, record this uh, event by a video after action review while it's still fresh on everybody's mind. And I have a whole transcript of our after action review uh, in the book. It's a word for word transcript of the video we shot while we were doing our uh, debrief. And, uh, you know, try to try to capture this this data and this uh, experience as soon as possible. So we're you know we're discussing that, and you know, like I said, I had my detractors, and I'm like, no, I'm going to make the decision. You know, we're going to go back and and do a debrief. Well, I get a, a radio call from a from a base camp operator, and uh, let me back up. Uh, I the the individuals that went into this this area where this cube had dissipated, the way they described it was like walking inside of a velvet curtain or bag. Everything was like really dark when they walked into this thing. And when they went into it, there was not much sound, very still, very dark. And when they went into it, there weren't bushes and brambles and briars and you know, stuff impeding their, their travel. They just walked into where this thing was. When they walked out of it, they started encountering briars and brambles and bushes and, you know, all of these, these impedances that weren't there before. So it's like reality was shifted just a little bit in this, this geographical location, this very tight, narrow location was just, just off just a little bit. And the environment was changed just, just a tiny bit. And uh, so that was their experience of actually being in the, 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 the remnants of this thing. So uh, maybe fast forward. So we were discussing going back to camp and my base camp operator says, Trey, uh, you know, there's somebody here that needs to talk to you. And I'm like, well, you know, you know, Glenn, I'll talk to you when I get back. You know, we're getting ready to head out right now. And he goes, no, 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 it's somebody else. Okay, that makes no sense. <laughs> so uh, we make it back to camp and much to my chagrin, uh, and let me paint this picture for you. This is about 2,200 hours, 10 p.m. at night in February in the wintertime in the middle of nowhere, so remote that there's not even cellular coverage. I walk into camp, and there's a businesswoman waiting for me, wearing loafers, slacks, blouse, and a blazer like she just came from a meeting and so that is certainly not what i expected to encounter at base camp you know that's that extremely out of the ordinary and it, quite frankly it took me back a little bit uh you know i had a hard time processing you know who is this individual why are they here and quite frankly i've got much more important things to do than enter, entertain some you know uh, wayward businesswoman so, you know, not wanting to be totally rude, you know, I go up to her and I start engaging with her. And she's like, you know, uh, y'all you, you, have to come with me down this deserted county road 
to look for these to, for, for me to show you monkey bears. And I'm like, a monkey bear? You know, I know what a gummy bear is, but I don't know what a monkey bear is. And she goes, no, they're <laughs> monkey they're monkey bears. And there's this old barn at the end of this road. You know, y'all need to come with me right now. You drop what you're doing, come with me right now. Well, now, if you encountered a mysterious businesswoman in the middle of the night, in the middle of nowhere, in the wintertime at your camp, wanting to go down a deserted county road, what would you do? Well, I mean, here's the thing is you guys are out there doing some crazy stuff and she's the, that's the next level of crazy. Of crazy yeah. Yeah. You know so, so I'm like, no, no, we're not chasing monkey bears with you, you know? And you know, once again, I'm, you know, I try not to be a rude person. So, you know, I don't want to completely tell her to, you know, buzz off. But, you know, I'm throwing social cues out there, you know, hey, have a good night, drive safely. You know, we have some stuff to do, things that most people would pick up the social cueing that, you know, this is the end of this encounter. I need to just leave. She doesn't pick up on that. She seems off. Something's just not right about this woman. And so she continues to try to engage in conversation and, and uh, you know, discourse with you know, myself and my team members. And she says, oh, uh, Mr. Hudson, where, where did you go to university? I'm like, well, okay, that's kind of an out of left field question, but I attended university at, uh, you know, the University of West Georgia. And she goes, oh, I did too. Like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and she goes, well, what's your degree? And I said, well, I have a BA in psychology. And she goes, oh, I do too. And I'm like, okay, you know, she's just parroting what I tell her. So I'm going to trick her, right? I'm going to be Mr. Clever Pants and, you know, I'm going to catch her. So I'm like, oh, really? I said, that's interesting. Who were some of your favorite professors there? And she started naming people I actually knew. So let, let's take a recap of this. We have a businesswoman in the forest, in the middle time, in the winter time, rather, in the middle of nowhere that went to the same university I went to, has the same degree I do, and knows the same people I do. I don't know about most folks, but my weird meter is starting to peg right now. And it's like, this is, this is wrong. Something is bad wrong with this situation. And, <laughs> and I've been all over the world. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. And I usually don't get weirded out, but this was really starting to freak me out a little bit because it was just, it was so wrong. You know, it was just so uncanny that all of my alarm bells were going off. So uh, to make things even worse, you know, this, this woman's not picking up on our social cueing. You know, my team members are starting to become a bit unnerved by this. And she stops communicating with us, and she moves about 20 yards, 20 meters away from the core of our, our base camp, still within the, you know, the light of our lanterns and stuff. And she squats down and urinates in front of us. Now, social ni niceties dictate that you don't urinate in front of somebody unless you really, really know them well. Which what, we what, are, what are they teaching at that college? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, like, guys hanging out I, in the middle of nowhere. I I must have I must have missed the course on public urination one hundred and one. Uh, you know that was not on my syllabus. Uh, so you know it was just so wrong th this whole evening. So this uh, this woman departs finally. And uh, so we, you know, we did our AAR and I was, you know, asking some of my team members that evening. And it's, this is also in the after action review, you know, about this woman. 
And you know, several of my team members have a career of uh, you know emergency medicine, and they're used to dealing you know with people that have various degrees of uh, neurodivergencies, uh, you know, uh, brain injuries, you know, tox, you know, toxic reactions to alcohol, drugs, and or and all of the above. And uh, one of my team members, you know, career paramedics, said I have never encountered a person that was as off as she was. Something was way wrong with this woman. So, you know, I, I got back home after that weekend and I started thinking about it. It's like, okay, what group of people do we have in the literature that approach individuals that have uh, encounters with high strangeness, be it, you know, strange lights, UAPs, things like that, that come into their lives that are not properly dressed for the occasion. They're dressed oddly. They don't understand social cueing. They try to dissuade them from either recounting their event or flat out tell them not to recount it. They, uh, and they don't understand social niceties and or manners vis-a-vis uh, -vis urinating in public. There is a, a, a block of literature on these teenagers. Yeah, teenagers. Okay, or right. <laughs> men or women in black. Bingo. So I'm like, holy cow, we just encountered a woman in black. That's what this was. So and that opens up a whole, you know, a whole can of worms, you know, and a whole bunch of uh, you know, front loading on what a, a person in black, a man or woman in black is and what, what they are not. So uh, fast forward several years, uh, I'm contacted by a, uh, a psychotherapist from Istanbul, Turkey, of all places. And he had heard me on an interview, and he had also attended the University of West Georgia. And he initially contacted me to discuss something called the Carrollton Vortex, which was an area of supposed high strangeness uh, near the university. And asked me if I knew anything about it. Now, it wasn't a big deal, you know, when I graduated back there in the 80s. So, uh, you know, I wasn't really familiar with it. So, you know, we were discussing, you know, chit-chatting back and forth. And he goes, hey, uh, this woman that you encountered in the woods, he says, do you have her name? I said, yes, I have her name. And we actually went back and did a little data mining. And we found somebody that looks like the person that we encountered whose profession seems to match with what they told us. And seems to be the person that we ran into. It seems to be a real person, okay, which has a whole other degree of strangeness to it. And he says, well, what was her name? And I said, her name was Jane Doe. You know, and that's obviously not her real name. And he goes, I think I know her. He goes, would you mind if I contacted her, you know, in, in regard to this, this event? And I said, no, no, I would be happy if you would do that. I said, I you know, was reluctant to do so because I didn't have a, you know, a personal connection with her. And I didn't, you know, quite frankly, I wanted to have some respect for the individual and not say, hey, you were out in the woods acting like a freak in front of us. You know, you know, I just, I didn't want to go there. I, just, I didn't want to, you know, upset this person because of, uh, you know, their behavior. And he said, no, I'll be happy to talk to her. I know her. And so he reached out to her and I, oh, I said, you know, if she would like to talk to me, I would love to discuss this with her. I'm not interested in outing her or, you know, making her name public or, you know, anything like that. I just want to get to the bottom of this, this event. So he said he would contact her and get back with me. I reached back out to my team. This has been several years uh, you know, after the event. And I said, okay, everybody, I know we went over this before, but re re recount 
exactly what you remember about that night. So, you know, to a person, they talked about, you know, her being strained, urinating in public, something seemed off, you know, wanting to, seemed like she wanted to dissuade us from our after-action briefing. So my uh, psychotherapist friend comes back and he said, hey, I talked to her. She's not interested in talking to you. Like, that's cool. You know, I, I, I respect that. And he says her recount recollection of the evening was this, that she remembers driving past your campsite earlier in the day because she had had a bad day at work and had decided to drive around in the middle of nowhere to relieve some of the stress and saw a Bigfoot sticker or something on the back of somebody's truck or car or something. And so she came back that e late that evening and uh, wanted to tell you about these monkey bears, these creatures that she and her sister would encounter when they were young in this area. And he said, okay, do you remember anything else about that evening? And she told him that she remembers we seemed like we were involved with something else and we were hiding something. We were being evasive, which was true. We were trying to do our after-action review, and we were being very cagey about what we discussed with her around because she wasn't a member of the team. And he said, do you remember anything else highly unusual about that night? And she goes, no, I just remember, you know, getting in my car and leaving. So she did not recount the urinating in public, and she doesn't recount from her point of view being off, you know, being strange. And so my friend, he said, you know, it's interesting that she would be the one that interacted with you because during uh, university, she, uh, this, this particular university has, uh, you know, a pretty good parapsychology department. And uh, he goes, I remember her being very receptive to, uh, you know, paranormal type things. And she would be almost like a receiver, you know, somebody who had their radio frequency, personal radio frequency set up to a wide band to receive signals or be intuitive of things that perhaps most people wouldn't. And he goes, you know, it would make sense if somebody was going to be under the influence of a outside force that she would be the one. He goes, that would make sense. So I've kind of backed up and started rethinking, you know, men and women in black that maybe perhaps they're real people, you know, flesh and blood, you know, human beings that are being controlled or influenced by something else, you know, something, you know, maybe ultra dimensional or something like that. And so that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the latest on the other woman in black. Which that's still weird. I mean, obviously she has a history with that area. But what are the odds that, you know, unless something directed her out there as a, as a, you know, distraction to you guys, it's just weird. Like, what are the odds she'd be out there while you guys were there? Well, yeah, you know, and it, and it goes back, uh, you know, if you go back and look at some of the writings of John Keel, you know, he talks about, you know, people coming into uh you know newspaper offices there in point pleasant that were reporting on uh you know the mothman uh phenomena and these men in black you know trying to dissuade the uh the newspaper writer to uh you know not write the story or, mm -hmm. or, or take a different track and so you know everybody kind of always thought that these were maybe extraterrestrial entities or you know uh, uh you know extra dimensional 
entities, but maybe, you know, what if they're just real people that are being influenced or feel, you know, compelled by some force, you know, kind of like a Roy Neary in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He's compelled to go to Devil's Tower. He doesn't know why, but he's, you know, he's directed there. He's compelled to go there and he can't articulate why he has that compulsion. You know, maybe that's what's going on. So that's, you know, that opens up a whole other, you know, field of study you know, a whole other rabbit trail to go down that, uh, you know, maybe I'll get a chance, you know, sometime in the future to, uh, to look into that, but it's, uh, it's certainly something worth considering. Now I want to, I want to go back to, so you guys saw more than once, which you, you refer to as a box. And then Mm -hmm. you kind of said, okay, let's just call it a portal. Right. (laughs) So first of all, so this is showing up on, your FLIR. Correct. Which a normal box <laughs> wouldn't just show up on a, wouldn't give off a heat signature. Uh, you, if it was just some plain structure with no kind of electricity or anything running yeah. through it. Yeah. So obviously this is a, a object that is alive in a, some, some mm-hmm. sense of the word. And uh, I mean, what do you guys really make of this? I, you know, that, that's a good question is, you know, it was emanating heat. That's why it showed up, you know, as a heat signature, you know, on our thermals. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different ways of looking at that. Uh, you know, looking at it through the optics of the experience, you know, we're going to get into kind of experiential stuff here because, you know, our equipment didn't detect any, you know, electromagnetic fluctuation, you know, uh, anything like that. Now, at that time, we weren't running uh, Geiger counters. We are now. We have seen spikes of radiation in some other events of high strangeness. I, my gut tells me we probably would have picked up some very slight uh, increases of radiation at that night. But, you know, so all we had at that time was a uh, an anomaly of a thermal anomaly, you know, a heat signature. A couple of ways to look at that is things that use energy or are generating some sort of phenomena put off heat you know be it a radio transmitting puts off heat if it's your computer puts off heat as it computes uh bitcoin mining creates massive amounts of heat Uh, automobiles create heat jet engines create heat thermonuclear reactions create heat so uh a couple of ways of looking at this is are these cubes or boxes are they a natural occurrence you know i.e do they occur just randomly in the universe you know kind of like the wind you know occurs naturally number two is it a natural occurrence that's being utilized for a purpose by forces or entities unknown kind of like the wind is a natural occurrence but we can use the wind to move large boats ships we're we're, we're harnessing a natural occurrence you know windmills we're harnessing that natural occurrence or the third thing is is it being artificially created i.e we can create wind by using a wind machine or propeller you know we can create artificial wind so is this a art is this an artificial phenomena that's being created by entities or you know things unknown 
so, you know, you start looking at it like that, it, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, you know, what we've been trying to do is look at the science of, uh, you know, singularities and what kind of energy is put off by these things. And it, can we detect it? And something that we see coming up is heat and radiation. Now, we've had some crazy, bizarre experiences uh, you know, later on, you know, after 2017, where we've seen spikes of radiation. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about Fukushima kind of radiation. I'm talking about very small spikes in the microsieverts, you know, level. They are very, very subtle spikes, but nevertheless, spikes of radiation above and beyond what normal background radiation is. So, you know, that's kind of the track we're taking now is, you know, can we determine a uh, a phenomena and can we determine a signature that is indicative of uh, these things forming or somehow that predicate events of high strangeness. And we're kind of right now tracking with possibly uh, geomagnetic anomalies and radiation is kind of, you know, what we're looking at now. We've got some kind of cool things, uh, you know, in our back pocket for 2023, which start delving into the, you know, maybe the metaphysical, uh, which hopefully will yield some, uh, I just, dropped quite a bit of money on a piece of equipment yesterday that hopefully will allow us to uh to do some uh you know more more metaphysical type research and what we try to do is bring the best tools and the best uh you know the various tools and things that are used in the different type of disciplines bring them into the mix you know we use uh the estes protocol for out of the uh, paranormal world out of that uh that discipline, we bring that into play, you know, so we're, we're willing to try all kinds of different things and hopefully come up with a answer. You know, if not an answer, maybe we can generate some more questions, which would be uh, worth answering in the future. Now, now are you guys uh, seeing a pattern or uh, a similarity in events when it comes to witnessing these boxes appearing? Yeah, we've seen the boxes on two occasions. Uh, one occasion, if you remember, uh, Terry was recounting uh, when we had hiked to another meadow. It was about seven miles away, and he had the beam of light go down the uh, where his tent was. I don't know if you remember him talking about that. Uh, when he and uh, David, another partner, returned back to base camp that day, we had uh, went to a uh, evac point and had a vehicle come and evac us back to the, uh, the, the the base camp once we hike back out. He and uh, David went back out to the meadow. Uh, and to their surprise in the meadow, uh, this was in, in April of 2018, uh, they saw, oh, I'm trying to think how to describe this, a set of parallel tracks if you will, and that's kind of a bad descriptor, but that kind of, you kind of paint that picture in mind. Imagine a vehicle in a field of grass, you know, 12 to 18 inch grass driving along and the grass being compressed and laid over, you know, as this vehicle moved through this high grass. So you kind of get an idea of what they look like, parallel tracks. Uh, where it got odd is these tracks just started in the middle of the field, traveled a distance and then stopped. So it's like something was dropped in there, traveled a distance, and then lifted out. Uh, the grass was not broken. It was leaned over. 
uh, there were features inside of the track lines that were not compressed, you know, molehills, anthills, other small vegetation that were not compressed. So where do we have records of things like that? And the answer to that is crop circles, you know, very similar to crop circles. Mm-hmm. At that time, we did not have Geiger counters on hand, so we were not able to measure measure radiation, you know, in that area. It did not show up any anomalies of electromagnetic fields, you know, EMFs. Uh, but so David and Terry, you know, were, were walking along these track lines, and they were uh, using a full-spectrum camera they had with them. So they decided to kind of scan around their environs uh, with this full-spectrum camera to see if they saw anything unusual. And so they stood in the middle of the track line, brought the uh, full-spectrum camera up, and right in line with the track line, they saw another cube, another box. Now, this was during the day. So they dropped the full-spectrum camera, don't see anything, bring it up, can see the cube, drop it, nothing there, bring it back up, they can see the cube. They stepped out of the track line, brought the camera up, nothing. Stepped back into the track line, brought the camera up, they can see it again. Stepped out of the track line on the other side, once again, nothing. So this cube was only visible by standing inside this track line. You know, you had to be perfectly aligned to see this thing. So uh, they went to take a picture of it, and then they realized they were so tired after our overland hike and uh, research the night before, they forgot to put the SD card in the camera. And uh, so by the time we could get back out there, the uh, the phenomena had, had gone. But, you know, once again, I've got their affidavits and, you know, Ter- Terry, you know, gave you a little bit about his background as an electrical mm-hmm. engineer. So he's a yeah. very, you know, down to earth guy. And uh, so that was another cube. Uh, we had another instance of uh, we had a very, very lean team one evening. This was uh, during COVID. So we didn't have a lot of people out there. And we had to, uh, the campsite that we usually stay at was closed. So we had to do uh, what they call dispersed camping and just find an area to set up. Uh, And having such a small, lean team, we had uh, left Bob back at base camp, Grumpy Bob. And while he was at base camp, it was pitch black. I mean, just dark, dark, dark. He heard uh, what he describes as like gravel crunching. Now, this wildlife uh, preserve is crisscrossed with uh, chert roads, you know, dirt roads. And a vehicle traveling over this type of road makes a very distinctive sound. You know, it's very, very distinctive, you know, if you've heard it, very easy to, to identify. And he heard something moving along a road that was about 50 yards from where we had set up camp. And so he quickly extinguished all lights in the campsite. And he heard this thing move past our campsite. And you could see the road very plainly from our campsite. So, you know, we had good visibility. Never saw anything. He just heard it move. While this thing moved past the campsite, he looked down at his Geiger counter. And his Geiger counter had gone from about 0.06 microsieverts per hour to 0.6 microsieverts per hour. Ten times the amount of radiation. Now, not dangerous. But there was a radiation spike, and he took a photograph of his Geiger counter of a 0.6 uh, microsieverts per hour. And the only way that somebody could be driving down that road at night with no lights is if they had the most advanced military night vision equipment 
and possibly have IR floodlights on the front of their vehicle. You know, but you can't can't just drive down there in pitch black, you know, with no lights. You have to have some sort of, uh, you know, enhancement, be it with night vision or whatever. So, so what are the odds of, you know, some somebody having night vision, military night vision equipment, deciding to drive around in the middle of the night on this road, which just happenstance coincides with a spike of radiation? Did they graduate from the same place you did? No, no, okay. we never, we, yeah, we never, we never <laughs> saw what this, uh, and I'm not even going to call it a vehicle. I'm going to call it a craft. You know, everything that that entails, a craft, yeah. some sort of mode of conveyance. Uh, so, you know, that was really strange. And uh, we were doing uh, that night, we, we did have a team out of the meadow, and we were doing uh, Dr. Stephen Greer's uh, CE5 protocol. You know, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, where just basically you get into a relaxed state and your team projects intention, you know, into the universe, you know, you know, we're here, you know, we, we don't wish to endanger you. We're your friends. You know, if you want to make yourself known to us, you know, please do blah, blah, blah. And we had, uh, we had absolutely no, uh, no interaction that night, you know, nothing. So we just, you know, ended up sitting around talking and laughing and just ha having a really good time with, uh, friends. Uh, so we come back and everybody, you know, went to bed and the next morning, uh, one of my team members, Tony came up to me and he goes, Trey, I, I want to tell you something. Now I'll give you a little bit of background about Tony. He graduated with a degree in engineering from the U S air force Academy, spent several years in special operations with the air force, uh, and is now, uh, highly respected in his field, his professional uh, field of work. And is a consultant and consults all over the world. You know, very, very down to earth, sharp guy. You know, really, really sharp. And he said, you know, about four thirty this morning, I had a a this word pop into my mind. He said, and the word was Knox Magby, and phonetically spelled with N O X M A G B E E, Knox Magby. And he said, again, at 6.30, this, that term just popped into my mind. Does it mean anything to you? And I'm like, Tony, it doesn't mean anything to me, but I'll, you know, I'll see what I can figure out. So, uh, you know, went there and uh, went back home, started doing a little research, and I found out that the word Nox, N-O-X, is a Roman word for the, uh, the Roman uh, version of the night goddess, which was taken and appropriated from the Greeks, whose uh, night goddess was Nyx. So Nox is the proper name of the Roman goddess of the night. Magby turned out to be a little bit more difficult. So I started you know, looking at different languages, and I said, okay, so where, you know, where did we see Romans? You know, where were the Romans where, you know, maybe that word is contemporaneous with Nox? And what I found is not our Magby, is very similar to an old English word that is found in the poem Beowulf. And the word is magba, which means children or kindred. Now, old English was spoken at the end of the Roman occupation of Britain. So it is conceivable that the two words are contempor contemporaneous and that people that spoke Old English at the first part of the Middle Ages after the Roman occupation would be familiar with the Roman god and goddesses because the Romans occupied, occupied Britain for quite a while. So you put those two words together, and you have children of the night goddess. 
OK. So where do, have we seen or heard? Of small beings the size of children that have big heads like children mm -hmm. coming to visit you at night. And any description of a gray. Exactly. So that was the download that one of my team members received after we performed uh, Stephen Greer's CE5 protocol. So we were contacted. That's that's amazing. That, that really is because that's so far, you know, it's not like you, you know, a double cheeseburger, you know, entered his brain. Yeah. And it came to a thought. Something that you had to really do some research to... Uh, tie some stuff together, you right. know. Jeez. Well, well, what I wanted to add, I really wanted to ask also is like, so what do you, where do you think the Bigfoot phenomena then fits into what you guys are experiencing out there? Oh, because that... I, because I, because I heard, and I can't remember if it was on uh, Sasquatch Chronicles uh, last in the last couple of weeks that um, one of the one of the theories thrown out there is 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 that Bigfoot is like the distraction from what's really going on. And I don't know if that thought has ever crossed uh, you guys's mind while you're out there. Like this big like does the possibility of a Bigfoot being out there take your attention away from maybe something else that's really going on? Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, is the more you start delving into these areas of extreme high strangeness, there's usually some sort of cryptid or Bigfoot factor. Uh, Mitch in the uh, the Clearview uh, Clearview Colorado ranch, uh, there are actually accounts of Bigfoot carrying a cube, you know, out there. So wow, here we go again with the cubes really? and boxes. Really? Yeah, oh, it's uh, you know, and so Skinwalker Ranch once again boxes and cubes and reports of Bigfoot. Uh, if you go back and I'm looking at a, a book right now in my library, I've got it in my hands called the gods of Aquarius uh, by Brad Steiger. And in that book, that book was written back in the seventies. He, he talks about a correlation between UFOs and Bigfoot. So, you know, the question has always been, uh, you know, what is the, what is the relationship? You know, are Sasquatch is a bioengineered, creature that these entities, you know, be they extraterrestrial, ultra-dimensional, or whatever, use, you know, to do their bidding. Uh, there are numerous cases of people running across Sasquatch footprints that just start, travel a distance, and then stop. Like something was, he was dropped in there, he walked a distance, and then was levitated out. Uh, there is some speculation that Bigfoot is a multidimensional being can wink in and out of existence. People have talked about seeing Sasquatches just disappear or fade away. Uh, so, you know, does correlation make causation? Not necessarily, but it's enough to whet our appetite to just, you know, to, to look and then explore that further. I think there's a, some sort of connection. Uh, there could be a, you know, a connection that these areas of high strangeness allow things to manifest in a way. And you're seeing all these weird events happen in these locations just because it's a, a, a area maybe where the veil is thinner 
or it could be that you know the occupants of the UAPs or these entities that we saw, you know, on our FLIR can actually be interacting or controlling, you know, Sasquatches or Bigfoot. But, you know, the more I talk to people that are cryptid researchers and as they, you know, develop a bit of trust, they're like, you know, we're seeing this really weird stuff, you know, out in these areas where Bigfoot is, you know, we're seeing these orbs, you know, we're seeing UFOs, you know, we're seeing these flash, strange flashes of light, you know, which don't really make a lot of sense if you're out there looking for, you know, a gigantopithesis. You know, it makes no sense. So I've, what I've started to do is tell people, I think we're all looking at different facets of the same diamond. You know, be it cryptid research, ufology, paranormal, or what have you, is they're all facets of the same diamond and they're all interrelated. Yeah, and that's, I mean, there's some people that really really take offense if you try to um, say Bigfoot's anything but a flesh and blood creature mm -hmm. but you just you didn't say Bigfoot's not a flesh and blood creature you know it's not like you said they are uh, our imagination they're they're coming in uh, spaceships from an you know from outer space or anything like that you know what I'm saying yeah like, yeah we're not disputing that they're not real because even even these you know if aliens are coming whether they're coming uh, across the galaxy or through portal which may be from somewhere in the galaxy or maybe from somewhere you know else just a, a dimension some you know next to ours um, they're still going to be flesh and blood creatures too I mean more than likely <laughs> I mean right I mean they're not they're yeah. gonna be biological entities they're not going to be um, you know. Well, let me throw let me throw this out there, and this I think kind of puts it in perspective, and it, it it it's exactly what you're saying is there's a phenomena called remote viewing, okay? It was developed by the military, and later uh, used by the CIA as a way of uh, gathering intelligence by having people project themselves into areas and gathering data, and then being able to recount that data. It was studied and developed by the Stanford Research Institute (SRI). It's a real phenomena. It's, you know, it's not a joke. It's not something made up. It, it actually does exist. And everybody, every human being has this capability. Uh, I had a chance to attend a uh, training course, remote viewing training course. And, you know, we had many people in the course that are not, and I hate the term psychic, but, you know, they're not, you know, we're not intuitive, myself included. I'm, I'm about as intuitive as a banana slug. And uh, I'm able to remote view. So human beings have this inherent capability to reach into that other dimension and pull data. So the next logical step is that is human beings are multidimensional creatures. That's how we can do telepathy. That's, you know, that explains the, the, the near death experiences that we exist in multidimensions. We not, might not be aware of it, but certain parts of our essence do exist in other dimensions. Why would that not be the case with Bigfoot? Yeah, Why? especially if they're a biological being that we think is of a higher intelligence. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're biological beings, or at least this representation of ourselves in this three dimensions are biological. We're multidimensional. So why can't that be the case with other creatures? I, I'm not, I can't argue. I mean, I, if, 
if you're going to have an open mind and, and look at this stuff and research it, I guess you have to consider, you have to consider all those possibilities. And I don't understand, I don't understand the people who uh, totally just close off any possibility because it's something they can't wrap their minds around. You know, you can't, you can't tell me that you can go out and study Bigfoot and believe it's only a biological creature with no ability to, uh, you know, be spiritual in any way, and then go to church. Well, yeah, you know, and I mean, not to not to slam religion or anything. I'm just saying that if if you believe that, then you it, it would cover you know it, it would cover many different uh, bases. You know, that right. belief. You know, and what I tell people is, where does where do, what where does the data lead you? You know take your preconceived notions, you know, just throw that, throw that away, take away the labels. Where does the data lead you? You know, if you're seeing, I'm going to use a label, you know, I just said, don't use labels, but I'm going to use a label paranormal things when you're out, you know, squatching, then, then you have to take that into account that there's either, you know, a causation by Bigfoot, Bigfoot is causing this thing, or there's some sort of relation you know, Bigfoot somehow exist, coexist, or these things are indicators that Bigfoot is getting ready to, you know, make a visit or whatever, or he's causing that or whatever. But you can't just throw the data out. You have to, you have to, like you said, you have to keep an open mind. And if you don't, you're doing yourself, most importantly, but you're also, you know, giving the, the, uh, the entire community a great disservice. True. And now the one another thought is to me is like it's isn't it weird that these so imagine where these portals or these other areas of high strangeness are occurring that aren't out in the middle of like the Utah desert or in a meadow in southern like like it can't. There has to be places in the middle of New York or Chicago or somewhere that's super uh, populated. Sure. That this stuff is happening. And sure. I wonder how many people just are just totally unaware of it. Well, there are, and we call them we call them haunted. There, you know, the haunted could. library in the middle of the city. The you know, the haunted boarding house, the you know haunted park or whatever, you know, sometimes in urban areas. The thing with, you know, these types of uh, places in urban areas, it's a signal to noise ratio is there's so much clutter, you know, existential clutter in, in urban areas that you don't have a chance to maybe observe these things or even detect these things or experience these things. And sometimes you have to get away from that clutter, you know, be it physical clutter, emotional clutter, or psychological clutter, to really start experiencing, you know, some of these uh, phenomenologies. But yeah, no, they're in urban areas. And like I, you know, said earlier, you know, in the broadcast is I think if people do their research, you know, they might find one of these areas down the street from them, you know, in the, the local park, you know, in their community, which I, I think that's super cool. That there's probably many, many more of these places, and they're just out there waiting to be discovered. I think that's all. I think it's an awesome way to, awesome way to look at it. I mean, for sure. So, well, I mean, we've talked forever. I think we could talk for a long time. And in fact, uh, just to tease everybody, for our Patreon viewers, you and I are gonna 
after we wrap this episode up here, we're going to talk about another cool place down in Georgia, right? Corpswood Manor. Corpswood Manor. So, so for everybody, after you get done listening to this, if you want to uh, go over to the Patreon page, um, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to have Trey tell me uh, his experience down there because I think that's a cool story, but for all of our regular listeners, tell everybody where they can, because we only got halfway. I mean, we basically oh. got halfway through the book. Oh, yeah so, yeah. so tell everybody where they can find the book. Mm-hmm. They can order the book and they can find some of your other stuff that's online. Yeah, very good. Uh, the book, we have it in hardback, softback, ebook, and audiobook. So it's in all the formats. Uh, it's on Amazon. It's exclusively carried on Amazon. And the best way to find it is to, in the Amazon search bar, just type in my name, Trey Hudson. And it's called uh, The Meadow Project Exploration into the South Skinwalker Ranch. And like you said, we have just barely touched mm-hmm. on, you know, some of the, the high strangeness. It's a, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people like the audio book that they can listen to driving back and forth to work. I think it's I think four or five dollars. I think that's a heck of a deal. So that's a good way to uh, to whet your appetite. If people want to find me, uh, you know, out there in the world, is usually go look in a greasy cardboard box behind the liquor store, and that's where I sleep. No, no, no. I, uh, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, obviously, that's not where I sleep. Uh, is I, that's just where you party? You that's just, that's just kind party. of yeah. That's just where I hang out with my buds, my peeps. But no, but you can go to uh, Facebook and uh, Trey Hudson Dash Author. Uh, you know, I try to interact with uh, interact with folks on Facebook. I've got some kind of cool things that we're uh, we're starting to look at for uh, year 2023, which hopefully will yield some amazing results. So uh, stop on by. I'd love to hear from you. Well, you heard it, everybody. He is inviting you to stop by. So, yeah, come visit so my cardboard box. Go visit the cardboard box and definitely um, either get the audio book or get the, I have the hardcover book because I just like hard, you know, I like that fact that I can put it up on the shelf and it looks nice and cool. And, um, and actually, when I say I read that book, I'm not lying, but which some of my books, like, you know. I'm just lying about it. I didn't read them, but, uh, but I, I encourage everybody to go check it out because we just touched the, uh, touched scratch the surface on it. It's uh it's really a great book and a great read. And hopefully, um, hopefully there'll be some other cool stuff that comes out of, uh, out of that area for you guys. Absolutely. So, well, thanks. And we'll, we'll cut this episode off and we'll, uh, say goodbye to everybody and uh, come join us on the patreon page thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the from the shadows podcast until next time never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows we are out <laughs> God only knows what's hiding As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.